with the environment. Um, so welcome back to yet another episode. And today we have Jason Ward on with us. And he is a very avid birder. And he is just like a huge, huge like conservationist and really big on getting people out into the environment, you know, not just like looking at birds, but really just appreciating nature and, and you know, just developing a love for the animals and the species that live around us. Um, so Jason, thank you so much for being here today. And we are really excited for this one um, because I feel like birding is something that, you know, it's not something that like a whole lot of people might know about. Um, so I was really looking forward to just like hearing your story and how you came to be a birder and really just like what your favorite things about it are. Um, so with that, I'll turn it over the mic to you. I appreciate you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here chopping it up with you all. And um, yeah, you know, birding is is one of the most fun activities that, that one can uh, partake in for many different reasons, right? So it's the scavenger hunt, the thrill that you get from hunting something without killing it, without taking it home and placing it on your wall, right? You're, you're hunting for it, you're trying to find it, you're searching, and then, you know, more often than not, that hard work is uh, rewarded by you spotting something interesting and you get to watch it behave in, in its own unique way and then it flies away. And, and then you, you lose that connection for a little bit and now you're missing it and you're wanting to capture that again. So there's that constant scavenger hunt feel. There's the fact that we are all disconnecting from the stresses of things that are going on on TV, on our phones, and we're reconnecting with the, with the world out there. So there's that therapeutic value that comes along with it as well um you know i always tell people it's it's pokemon go with what we're with real animals you know so instead of you know capturing animals on our phones you know we're able to see these literal dinosaurs that are flying around our neighborhoods and interacting with each other uh each and every day and and it's special special i, I really like that description of it of it being Pokemon Go, but with real animals. <laughs> and that really is like the perfect way to describe it when you think about it. Because like you said, it's, it's something where, you know, you might spend like a lot of time walking and then you get that brief glimpse. And in that real, in that second, it's just like something that's incredibly beautiful and it's fleeting. And it's just like that thrill of finally getting able to see like that rare species of bird or even a common bird. Um, yeah. And just, you know, feel that, that brief little connection with nature. Um, you, know, you know, if you think about it, it it's, it's that the word fleeting really describes uh, the experiences that we share with a lot of these birds as, as a birder, right? So, sim and, and just to define something real quick, a birder is simply someone who enjoys watching birds in their natural habitat, right? There's no certification that you need. There's no degree that you need to accrue. Uh, if you enjoy watching birds and it, and it makes, uh, makes you smile, boom, you can call yourself a bird. It's as simple as that. And secondly, that fleeting uh, uh, word that you used earlier, um, we're, we're just kind of on the tail end, uh, pretty much wrapping up fall migration right now, right? In, in the beginning of November. And migration is such a, a special event that happens twice a year. And when you think about what's going on with bird migration, you have billions with a B, billions of birds that are making these journeys from their breeding grounds to their wintering grounds every single year. And they're doing this at nighttime while all of us are sleeping. 
And when we wake up, these birds drop down, they get, such, they get stuff to eat. And for a couple of hours, for a couple of minutes, maybe even for a couple of seconds, we get to witness this bird that weighs a half an ounce, who is making a 72 hour trip nonstop to South America. And just there, that, that, that's the fleeting quality of this is that it decided for some strange reason, it decided to drop down in your backyard, gobble up some insects, and then boom, it's gonna be another thousand miles away in about a week or two. So there's that quality to it, that magical quality to, to birding as well. And I have to ask, how did you come to get into birding? Like what is your connection with it and why did you resonate with it so strongly? I think that birding and I were on a crash course since childhood. I was that kid who was in love with dinosaurs as a child. Jurassic Park is still my favorite movie. Um, and, and, you know, my love for dinosaurs progressed to a love for all things wild um, during my elementary school ages, right? Because at the time, I thought that I was about 66 million years too late and that I couldn't go out and study dinosaurs. So that ship had sailed. So I turned my focus to pretty much any animal, insects, marine mammals, big cats, you name it, I was into it. And birds wound up being the front runners after a certain point in time because of two reasons. One, they are modern day dinosaurs. So I was wrong about you know, that, that assumption that I made earlier. Um, they are modern day dinosaurs. That resemblance is uncanny. And in addition to that, the ability to fly. I think that a lot of kids uh, are enraptured with that ability to fly and not only does it seem fun and it seems like it would, uh, you know, be, be exciting to partake in, but also if a bird is in a less than desirable environment, they can fly and leave and find the greener pastures. I grew up in the South Bronx in the poorest congressional district in the country. And I often wish that I had that capability, that capability to maybe even just temporarily leave my environment you know, uh, be around something that it was a little bit more friendly and then return when I felt like it. Um, and I didn't, of course, no wings. So I had to live vicariously through the birds. So there was that connection that I, that I uh, uh, had as a kid growing up and um, it persisted all throughout life, but life continued to just get in the way of, of my obsession and my, my infatuation with nature and with wildlife. So it wasn't really a focus of mine until I was around in my mid-20s um, and, and it took a turn when I got a promotion at this mortgage job that I was working in and that allowed me with it granted me with two things that I wasn't familiar with at the time it granted me with more money and free time on the weekends so I combined those two things and I wanted to do something that I loved and it was like a light bulb moment that went off in my head birds of course let's jump into it so I joined a Georgia Audubon bird walk thought I would be like this young hotshot who knew everything and it's not how it went down. These people knew so much about the birds and their environments and I was just so overwhelmed. But I wanted to do what they did, right? I wanted to be able to, to gain the knowledge and to share that knowledge. So I studied, went birding some more, downloaded apps and eight months later I was leading my very first bird walk. So it's been full steam ahead since there. Gotcha and that's an amazing story. Um, and I wanted to ask you in terms of leading bird walks, um, do you often see like the same faces or do you get like a good influx of new people who are, you know, such as yourself, like coming in, you know, thinking they, they oh, I joined up with the burden crew so I can show off my knowledge. Um, yeah, you, 
That's a great question, right? I think that over the years, we started to see uh, a nice mixture of folks who are coming to my bird walks. And I think that's a testament to uh, the message that I try to, to, to put forth and put out there for people. The fact that birding is for everyone, the fact that conservation is for everyone, no matter what walk of life you're from. You know, birding has a diversity issue. It just does. Birding is largely old and white, overwhelmingly old and white. So there are a lot of talented, incredible individuals who are across this country who, are, who want to change that very badly. They just don't have the platform right now to make, make that happen, but we're changing that as well. So as things are starting to change, and it's a gradual change uh, right now, but as things are starting to change, we're seeing that reflected in the attendees at uh, bird walks as well. Oh, that's excellent. Um, and I know, you know, a close friend of yours, um was Mr. Cooper, um, who's also a very, a very avid birder. Um, and for everyone who might recognize that name, he was the one who caught the white woman walking her dog at the park. And she was just like, pretty much extremely racist. Um, and so that was his experience. And I know you spoke to that, of course, as like being a black man and being a birder, how you have to, you know, be careful of like what your actions are um because you know you have a backpack on and you don't want people to assume that you're reaching for something when you're going in your backpack um and just being like very aware of like the clothes you wear and you know just like the surroundings that you're in um because you know you are going into some people's neighborhoods and you don't want people to be looking at you funny just for looking at birds um yeah. and i remember in one of your interviews you said that you saw a lot of people say after that story like you know, this is why we don't go to parks and this is why we don't do, you know, activities like this. Um, and that you, you've basically, you know, taken an effort to say like, you know, just because these things happen doesn't mean you should avoid the parks. You should avoid, you know, getting out within nature. Um, because as you said earlier, it is very therapeutic, you know, not just bird watching, but just being in nature and, and being able to, I guess, just let go of some of the, stress and and issues that you're carrying over from society and just appreciate you know being within like a living ecosystem like that um and i wanted to ask you since covid i know we've had like a lot more people getting out in the parks has that have you seen like an uptick in diversity because of covid with people like going back out in the parks and trying to rediscover nature you know i think that when anything becomes increasingly popular across the board, um, it, it becomes more diverse and younger, uh, just by default. And I think that uh, with everyone spending a lot more time home these days, especially in the mornings and afternoons where we would already be on our way to work, uh, people are reconnecting with the sights and the sounds in their own backyards. And people are wanting to do something about it. They're wanting to explore. They're wanting to you know, fight for the conservation of certain habitats in their, in their local areas right especially with, with people starting to become a little bit more politically conscious in these days as well so people are starting to take more of an effort to be uh just just to be present and, and to let their voice be heard and yeah i think we're starting to see more of a movement of people trying to take ownership take back ownership of these spaces and say you know what these spaces are for everyone and you know the more faces the more voices that we can get out there showing and proving that the more we'll see that we'll see the effects kind of trickle down in future generations. Um, when when issues like the one with Christian Cooper happen, sure, you know, feelings like anger, disappointment, 
rage, right? All of those feelings kind of well up inside you, but you also realize that this can't be discouraging. And the reason it can't be a discouraging incident is because I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for the next generation, the future generations. And they are going to look towards uh, uh, faces of representation to kind of steer them in the right direction. And if we were, uh, if we were knocked off our path because of something like this, then you know that sets a bad precedent for them. So we got to continue moving forward. We got to continue being strong and the next generate will hand the baton off to them and, and, and they'll make things amazing down the line. They most definitely will. Um, and I saw that you also founded, um, it's called Black AF in STEM. Um, and that is fairly recent, isn't it? Yeah. So it, it was, a, it was, yes, it's been relatively recent, right? So uh, April of last year, April of 2019, I uh, created a group me, um, this, this app, uh, this messaging app called group me where just simply to provide a space for black folks in different STEM disciplines to have a space to let their hair down, uh, you know, be a judgment-free zone where we could just vent and, and speak candidly about things from race all the way down to grits, right? Like we talk about pretty much everything there. And um, it's a place to just be unapologetically ourselves. Um, well, at the time in April of 2019, we had about, eh, about eight to 10 individuals in there current event 48 hours we had black birders week and we had the graphic design we had the the potential guests we had everything laid out and i think that's a testament to the fact that we have so many talented, uh, ambitious individuals who are black and who love the outdoors in this country who are just waiting for their shot. And that's essentially what Black AF in STEM is. It's the leaders of the new school. We are the voice for uh, young black professionals in STEM to continue to amplify our own voices, to continue to advocate for one another. And uh, we're, we're not going anywhere anytime soon. No, we are not. And I have to say, that's one of the things that I've learned most on doing this podcast and just like talking to all of the different guests that we have is that, you know, there's a lot of people of color out there um, who are just, you know, they're, they're standing up, they're becoming leaders within the community. And they're really, you know, making a great effort to get, you know, people of color back into the environment and just show, like you said earlier, that this is a space for everyone. Um, and I have to say, it's been like, probably one of the most inspiring parts of getting to speak with you all is just like learning, you know, all the different efforts and all the different movements. Um, because, you know, it's something that, that I feel like is, is not easy to, to look for. Um, when I created the database on uh, environmental orgs, people of color environmental orgs for Anjulu, um, you know, I remember having to like really dig through Google searches and, and, just different like maps and, and actually contact people at organizations to ask them if they knew about other organizations. Um, so if, if there's one thing you learn from this podcast, not only that birding is awesome and that you should totally do it, but it's also that there are a lot of people of color out there creating their own organizations, putting together their own movements that are, that are designed to inspire people like us to get back out into the environment and just like, 
take ownership and just learn to love nature. Um, yes, absolutely. And on that topic, I wanted to ask you for any young people of color out there who might be looking to get into birding, um, you know, what can they do? Yeah. So I think that something that they can do for any young person out there who wants to get into birding is uh, utilize the, the tools that we have available to us today. And what I mean by that is social media, our smartphones, to find your flock. What I mean by that is there are people who are just like you who are out there who are interested in the same things that you're interested in. Um, find your flock, find similar ground with them, and that can be very empowering to know that you are not alone in this fight, to know that you are experiencing, the things that you are experiencing are being experienced by other people as well. Um, and, and there's nothing that can't be accomplished when we get a whole bunch of people together with the same frame of mind uh, in, in this world. So find your flock, reach out to some potential mentors who can be out there who will be more than glad to open doors for you and, and knock down walls for you as well, right? Like, for example, myself, I'm a little old and I'm, you know, in my early 30s, so I'm getting up there in age. So I kind of look at myself as kind of, you know, the old head here. But uh, I, I, I'm using that, you know, the, the, great, the late great Nipsey Hussle said the marathon continues, right? This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So I'm turning my focus to, of course, like there's building my brand and what I have going on, but there's also the next generation as well. So I would love to be able to help any young future conservationist, whether it's birding or whatever, if I can help in any kind of way, uh, reach out to someone like me, reach out to someone, you know, like uh, any, any of the individuals who are in my collective, in my group, who are doing amazing things in different parts of the country. We are here to help. So find your flock. Yeah. And I did want to also shout out your brand a little bit. Um, because you have a documentary series titled Birds of North America, and that is actually available for free on YouTube. So if you want to check that out, we will have links to that in the description. Um, but I wanted to ask you about, you know, putting that documentary together. Like, what was that process like? Um, and I have to say, just watching a couple of the episodes, one of the things that really came across to me was just like, your enthusiasm for being able to bird, just seeing you interact with all of the different people out at the park. And it was like, it was just really, a really like fun and light vibe. Um, and I felt like, you know, this is something where you can tell the person doing this really loves what they do. Um, so I just wanted to ask you about that, you know, and, yeah. and how far are you planning to take the documentary series? Yeah, so, you know, that series came about, uh, again, thanks to social media. You know, there was um, my increased presence on uh, Twitter specifically um, and my science communication there led to someone noticing, someone paying attention uh, and, and them, you know, sliding in the DMs and saying, hey, like, I love what you got going on. Would you like to work together someday? And that simple conversation turned into a conference call a week later. That conference call turned into them hiring a director, producers, and Two months later, we're in Central Park filming the pilot for the for what's now 20 episodes of Birds of North America. So it all happened very, very fast. I was catapulted to this role, but I was ready. I was really nervous in the beginning. Some of those beginning episodes are really hard for me to watch because of how nervous I was. But um, it, it came across really well. The directors, the producers there, they have such a great eye for this kind of stuff. So you know, they, they put their best foot forward. And what we have now is 20 episodes worth of product that is just, 
that is complete, that is that is uh, heartwarming, that is exciting to watch, and and you know it shows birding in a fresh new light, and and that's the narrative that we're trying to paint here. And yeah, we're we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Now COVID has slowed a lot of things down when it comes to production, but we are having we're starting talks now about um, what that looks like for the future and potentially doing a season three down the line. Oh, that's excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and you're also working with the National Audubon Society as a, is it a trust fund or a, a fund to apprentice? Is that the correct title? Uh, it was, it was. So from January 2019 until January 2020, this year, I was uh, doing outreach, um, outreach and community engagement with National Audubon based here in the Southeast. So I was working with uh, Georgia Audubon and Alabama Audubon as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but now, um, let's see, it's the fourth, um, when will this podcast drop? Uh, likely towards November. Bingo. I can, I can reveal it. So, all right. So I'll start over. So yes, that is true from January, 2019 until January, 2020, I was working in community engagement and outreach for National Audubon. But now I just accepted a brand new position as chief diversity officer with the American Bird Conservancy. So shout out to the homies over at ABC. And we have a lot of uh, exciting work down the pike coming, coming your way. That's amazing. And congratulations. That sounds Appreciate like a it. huge accomplishment. It's, it's very validating. I will say that it's validating in a lot of different ways from being someone from, from the projects in the South Bronx, uh, someone who bounced around in like certain environments in New York and someone who doesn't have a degree, now to you know be presented with an opportunity like this, it, it is validating for sure. Yeah, and it sounds like this is uh, the perfect time to like write a book about your story. Um, I have some emails that I've, that I've you know, put a little star next to from some publishing companies who are, who are knocking on the door. Um, we'll see. I don't know if I'm there yet at this moment, but um, I'm considering it for sure. Yeah, but I have to say, just like reading about your background and just like how you came and got into birding and really just like how you fell in love with it. It was like really cool to just, you know, see how you just took this concept and just ran with it. And then you turned it into your own thing and you're really just able to do what you love. Um, you you know, I, us, us, us Black folk, we have a way of doing that, right? We have a way of of, of finding our way into diverse fields and putting our own little flair and our own little spin on things. So that was, that was inevitable. That was definitely going to happen. Whether it was me or someone else, it was definitely going to happen. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, I feel like I, since you're in Atlanta, I feel like we might need to take a field trip out to a park one day. Cause I definitely want to learn about some of the species that are here. Um, Anytime. You know, yeah. And I hear like bird calls all the time. And I'm always wondering like, what type of bird is that? And, you know, just watching your series, I know you know your stuff, so you can teach me some stuff now that you are the hot shot. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I, yeah, I've graduated to that level now. I'm now, I'm now the teacher of the courses. So, yeah, no, I would love to do that uh, anytime. Just let me know, and we'll, we'll figure something out for sure. Yeah. And real quick, I did want to ask you, um, how did you actually hear about Green Youth Foundation? Because I know you've actually been to the office a couple of times. Yeah, I have. Um, so my introduction to greening youth came actually through Georgia Audubon. So uh, Angelou, Queen Angelou, she is a, a board member at Georgia Audubon. So I got a chance to meet her and chop it up with her. And um, when I was doing work, um, outreach work with National Audubon, there was some 
a lot of discussions that went on with our diver- with National Audubon's diversity group and with Greening Youth as well. So I hope that those conversations are ongoing because um, there's a lot of stuff you know that that needs to be accomplished soon. So so we'll see. Got you, got you. Um, and Yero, I want to turn it over to you. Did you have any questions? Absolutely. Um, uh, Jason, I really wanted you to speak on living vicariously through the birds. Specifically, um, are there any places local that you would recommend us getting out to? And then what would you say is a place that you went very far or extreme lengths to live vicariously through these birds? Ooh, that's a good question. So locally speaking, um, and I'm biased here, so I will say there is no place like Piedmont Park. Um, it's an urban park. Um, I'm very comfortable in urban settings. So uh, Piedmont Park being an urban oasis right in the middle of this, these, this concrete jungle in Atlanta. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it a concrete jungle. There's a lot of trees in, in Atlanta. That's more so for New York. But, um, you know, a lot of people sleep on Piedmont Park when it comes to wildlife. But we, Piedmont has seen about 170 different species of birds there, right? So there are plenty of birds that can be seen there. If you want more of a wild experience, try Kennesaw Mountain. Uh, try places anywhere along the Chattahoochee River is a really good place to see wildlife and to see birds especially. Um, now, as far as places that I've been too far, I had a, an, a couple of amazing trips last year. Uh, one of them that immediately comes to mind was going to Adak Island. So Adak is this island in the Aleutian Island chain right off the coast of Alaska. And it's like if you look at it on a map and you zoom out, it's like right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, the middle of nowhere. It's closer to Russia than it is to the mainland, Alaska. And I was out there for four days uh, on a boat, sleeping on a boat, waking up, eating breakfast on a boat. They had a chef there. And we were out there to see birds, essentially, on this four-day trip. Um, and just being able to, to, to ride that boat around some of the some of the islands and, and the Bering Sea out there where they film shows like Deadliest Catch, right? Like it was it was wild to be out there. I saw hundreds of thousands of birds that are just miles out to sea, right? So that's the beautiful thing about birds is that no matter which niche, no matter which habitat you're in, birds have made it there and, and they occupy that niche and they're successful there. So even far out in the ocean, there were birds there, there were killer whales, there were humpback whales that were out there. And I had like a really reflective moment of, man, like, again, you know, kid from Castle Hill Projects is out here on this boat uh, looking at, you know, albatross and stuff like that, right? So it was, it was very humbling. It was very cool uh, to kind of have that moment there. So yeah, that's, that's probably the furthest that I've traveled so far, so far. That's incredible. Um, you're a part of some pretty wonderful groups that have you on these excursions, but you've also put together groups yourself to get to these places. Um, can you speak a little bit about how the youth and how um, just the Black community can connect with your Black AF and STEM and how, how you go about um, actually connecting with local groups and youth as well? Yeah, I think that um, a lot of these relationships kind of develop um, or- organically, right? Through, through people, through meeting people, through uh, emails. So for example, um, I was trying really hard, especially when I was working with National Audubon, to develop a program here in Atlanta for college students who wanted to learn a little bit more about birding and careers in conservation. Well, that led to me developing a relationship with the folks over at Morehouse More Green, shout out to y'all, 
Um, and we were able to actually lead a field trip this year um, to Cochran Shoals in, in Cobb County um, with uh, about 25 students from Morehouse, Spelman, and Clark, Atlanta. So this is a bird, this was a bird walk, right? We chartered a black owned bus company, uh, hopped on this bus, we had lunches for everybody and we gave everyone binoculars. We didn't let them borrow binoculars. We had purchased these binoculars, shout out to, to North Face who, who fronted the money through a grant to, uh, to purchase these things. But yeah, we were able to gift these binoculars to these, to these students and hopefully change the way that they view wildlife themselves. So yeah, it's, it's fun to lead field trips in places like the Rio Grande Valley in Texas or San Diego, California, but there's nothing like being able to lead a field trip for people who look like I do. So whether that's here in Atlanta, uh, another thing that I did last year was I led a, a field trip for some, for some photography students um, in the Bronx where I, where I grew up from, right? So it was, that was like a bucket list item for me to be able to lead a field trip for kids who grew up walking the same streets that I, that I walked as a kid. So um, yeah, these relationships form organically and, and they form through mutuals and just, you know, being in touch with the right people. Um, and, and they're, they're long lasting, thankfully. That's awesome. Um, I guess my last note would specifically be what lengths did you go through to get this documentary done? And were other partners such as the North Face or other outdoor retail partners receptive to what you were doing? Mm. So you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful to have uh, certain people on my team, right? Advocating for me. I think that's, that's an, uh, an incredible understated aspect of, of anyone's success is are the people that they have in their corner. And uh, I say that to say, I wanna you know, give a special shout out to Anna Holmes, who at the time was the editorial director of Topic, which is the production company behind Birds in North America. Um, she's a black woman. And she was the one who reached out to me in the first place. She, she shot the shot for, for Topic. She, and, and then, you know, we, we conceptualized what Birds in North America was look, would look like, but it's, it's my brainchild and her brainchild as well. So, um, you know, she had a lot of pull within the organization, so it helped out a ton. And, you know, we, we, we haven't seen a lot of uh, pushback yet as in terms of putting episodes out and in terms of uh you know just being able to, to 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 succeed at this now i will say that at the end of season two there was a lot of things that were still up in the air and and we were still unsure about when it went as it pertains to season three and you know what we're still there we're still at a point where we're not sure what it's going to look like and this is the point where uh, some of these sponsors, some of these organizations that I am involved with personally, you know, hey, it's time for y'all to step up to the plate. If y'all want to sponsor Birds of North America, you know who to contact. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get your product there and, and we'll have a season three. So the sooner the better. So it's time for uh, some of these organizations to put their money where their mouths are and, and we'll see what that looks like down the line. I'm looking forward to it. Jason, you have a stellar a stellar group and I really think your vision is portrayed in your documentary as well I'm, I'm looking forward to everything that you do thank you so much yeah and Jason we just want to say thank you again for being on our podcast I feel like this was going to be really enlightening for a lot of our viewers and just you know learning a little bit more about birding I mean even if that's just in your backyard just checking out you know what birds come and fly into your backyard you know that still counts and that's still getting out in nature 
And that can be the thing that sparks your love. And soon, you know, you might be out in the parks like Jason. You never so, know. <laughs> you never know. So, yeah, everyone, that is going to do it for today's episode of A Sip of Green Tea. And we're going to have links to the Birds of North America documentary on YouTube in the description, as well as a couple links for Jason's um, his biography and the work that he's doing. Well, actually, no, that's old. Um, so, Jason, if you actually have, like, any links that you want to send on your new position, then we can put that in the description as well. Um, Got it. Yeah. So that's going to do it for today's episode, everyone. I hope you all stay safe, and we will see you all in the next.